0: welcome to OK Talks, I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused and security policy, and real-world experience working in the US domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own. All of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country, and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So there really is a lot of news right now. A lot more analysis to be done as the dust settles after the midterm elections in the U.S., for example. But not today, because today I'm really excited to have the chance to finally bring you a conversation that I've hinted at before on here uh, at hoping to have with a dear friend of mine from Iran about the historic and critically important protests going on right now in that country. Now, As you may know, These protests started about two months ago after the Morality Police, which exists under Iran's authoritarian Islamist theocracy, arrested a 22-year-old Kurdish woman named Masa Amini for the unpardonable sin of not wearing her hijab quite tightly enough, and then proceeded to beat her to death on the back of a police van. Because, you know, morality. A small note here, this Islamist religious police in Iran has always been horrible, but some speculate that they've become a bit more aggressive since a more hardline President Ibrahim Raisi took over the presidency in the summer of 2021 from the comparatively moderate Hassan Rouhani. Though, as Khatereh, my guest who I'll introduce in a second, rightly points out, it really doesn't matter that much as all politicians in Iran realistically just serve the supreme leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. There's a lot more that I could say here. The unique structural weirdness of Iran's government, for example, intrigues me a lot as a political nerd. I could comment on the obvious righteousness of the cause of those protesting on which I'm happy to see there's widespread agreement, which actually I have to say here, (laughs) to be honest, is a pleasant surprise in one respect. Which is to say, I think that there is a certain subset of the political left of center, of which I'm obviously a part, though not of this subset, Whenever these debates about individual rights in oppressive cultures come up, there are inevitably some people who appear to be more concerned with not criticizing other cultures, except Western culture, of course, than they do with liberal values. Feminism, LGBT rights, in general standing up for oppressed people, the tendency among, again, this subset, is to yell Islamophobia at the slightest hint of criticism of Islam thus implying that any critique of the religion, the ideology, no matter how legitimate, is somehow a form of bigotry, which is a form of illogic that is just so helpful to violent theocrats the world over. But, with a few exceptions, that really doesn't seem to have happened as much this time, about which, again, I have to say, I am both relieved and, frankly, pleasantly surprised. I could also comment on the interesting geopolitical dynamics of all this. Might actually do that at the very end of this episode. But I don't want to go too far into any of those things, with the goal of instead getting straight into my conversation with Khatare Gorji. Khatare is from Tehran, Iran's capital, and she's been living here in Spain for about five years working on her PhD, I had the great fortune to meet her right after I arrived in the country, and we've continued the conversation about politics that we tipsily started four years ago in the time since. Now, Hatare was initially a little hesitant to speak publicly about these issues for fairly obvious reasons of personal security, in case she goes back to Iran anytime soon. But having now gone to tons of protests about this here in Barcelona, I should say for the record, I'm hardly neutral here as I have too, that issue is now kind of moot. Before I bring you my conversation with Khateri, there is one last thing that I want to say. I shamelessly beg you, my listeners, to share the podcast with other people in the outro of every episode. But this time around, more than usual, I really, really need to ask you to please do that. Here's why. So, besides killing hundreds of people protesting, many, many of them children, The Iranian regime has arrested I think at last count it was about 16,000 people for being at the protests and are now making very loud noises about executing all of them. Do not doubt that the current Iranian regime morally anyway are capable of this. Khatari will talk more about this in our conversation but one of the only things that could dissuade the regime from carrying out this massacre is the idea that other countries with whom they need to maintain some sort of relationship will react attention openly and obviously being paid to the situation actively helps so please spread this around and if you share it on social media do so with the hashtags Khatare mentions near the end of our conversation and which i will also write into the description all right that's enough from just me here's my conversation with Khatare. Khatare, thanks so much for joining me on the show
1: thank you so much oliver for concerning about my country and inviting me of course
0: um so I'm really happy to have here. Here I've been, I've been sort of asking myself for a little while how I should structure this conversation because I have a million questions that I could ask, but I've struggled to like organize them and put them into an order that makes any kind of sense. So I figure we'll just kind of go and see where it goes. But I I, I thought a good place to start would be just to ask you if you if you could talk a little bit about life for the average woman in Iran. Having experienced that and a life in a, like a free Western country, and like what, how how they compare? Um,
1: uh, honestly, um, I think this is a very very hard question uh, to answer due to the complexity of the women rights uh, in Iran, and uh, in it, it's uh, hard to explain about every detail um, in a podcast. But generally speaking, I could, uh, I could say as an Iranian uh, woman, um, you cannot have your identity uh, inside the country. Uh, you cannot be yourself. Um, during your whole life, uh, your decisions and uh, your behavior are controlled by the government and, uh, and the conservative people. Women, we, we cannot sing. We cannot dance. We cannot ride a motorcycle. We cannot kiss our boyfriend in the street. Uh, morally, it's forbidden to have sex before the marriage. Um, we cannot leave the country without the permission of the husband. Oh. Uh, yeah.
0: I didn't realize no. that was also, I see.
1: Yeah, you cannot do it. <laughs> uh, and... Um,
0: well, this this is a, a very weird question, but like just like mechanically, how does that work? Like if you're in Iran and you're a woman and you're not married and you want to leave, or does that only apply if you're married?
1: No, if you're married, if you're a, a young girl, like until the 18, you cannot leave the country without the permission of your father. But when you marry, you you should have the pervi- permission of your husband to leave the country. You cannot so, have the passport if the, your husband don't let you
0: so if you're a single woman in Iran in your twenties, you can leave. You can but if you're married, leave. you have to what, we, like take a piece of paper saying my husband said it's uh, okay. Of
1: course, yeah, 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 yeah. I see. Uh, you cannot, you cannot even have the passport if your if, if your husband don't let you. I see. When you go to the office, like the police office, where you should uh, take the passport, if your husband you don't have the permission of your husband. You cannot have the passport so you cannot officially you cannot leave the country and even if you have the passport and you have some kind of problem with your husband and he decides suddenly to forbid you to leave the country he can do it and you go to the airport and the police suddenly say tell say you that you cannot leave the country because your husband don't let you go. wow
0: okay yeah I, I'd, I'd associated so that yeah i'd associated that level of restriction with like Saudi Arabia, but I, I didn't know that it had reached that level of control in Iran as well. Yep. My God, okay. It's, um, yeah,
1: it's unbelievable.
0: Um, I'm sorry, and, I cut you off, was there more to say?
1: Yeah, yeah, the abortion is forbidden, obviously. We can study, but um, there is a huge inequality between men and women. And we can work, but according to the law, your father or your husband uh, can forbid you to do, to do it if they want and if they don't like your job. And uh, in summary, I would say as an Iranian woman, you don't have right to decide what you wanna do with your body and with your life without the other's permission, especially all the men.
0: Easy to see why somebody might have a problem with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and comparing with uh, with here, first of all, I wouldn't say uh, like compare it with between Western Iran uh, I, I would say between uh, an ultra conservative Islamic regime and a democratic uh, political system. So and my answer could be summed up in a in line and uh, in the one sentence um, I can be myself here and I am myself here. you know I, I love uh, singing, I, I love dancing. I, I love to be an independent woman and a free woman, and I, I, can, I can have all this here. Uh, I, and I didn't have it in my country, so I lived. And um, you, you can, of, of course, you can find sexism and misogyny in every society, but uh, in our case, it's very different. We are not fighting for for this. We are we are fighting against the, the basic rights. Uh, we are fighting um, to have right to live and to be ourselves, not uh, Islamic Republic's puppets.
0: So everything you just said, <laughs> everything you just said, makes the next question I was going to ask feel pretty stupid uh, to even ask it. Um, but in a, in a broader, I think it still might be relevant in terms of the societal attitude toward the government in the context of the protests that we're seeing. Um, in a lot of Western countries, this was this, I think, for me living in Spain for a couple of years, I assume for you too, this feels true here for me living in the States until Donald Trump entered the political sphere and decided that he wanted to make his presence ubiquitous in everyone's lives because he's an egomaniac Uh <laughs> Before that, and in general here, it really is possible to be a person living in one of these countries and really not really feel the presence of the government uh, in a very Mm -hmm. real way. Um, I I mean, the way you just described all of this sort of imposition on your basic rights as a woman, um, do you I mean, I, I guess besides all of the things you've had to deal with as a woman in that country, do you think that how would you compare the government's presence in the lives of everyday people in the country and i guess i guess another a, a follow-up kind of to that would be how much is it the government versus the kind of ubiquity of islam whether it's coming from the government or just kind of from the society itself
1: mm. uh, it's it's a huge difference obviously like uh, mm, you can uh, you can Feel the presence of the government in your life, in your house, even in every moment of your life. Like they are controlling you uh, always, and uh, you are you live with the fear, with that fear, and they want that fear. They promote it so you can control uh, control you as a dictati- dictatorship. Dictatorship uh, it's their weapon. I think, uh, frighten uh, people.
0: In the context of that, then what do you think? But like let's say before these protests, what do you think the attitude of the average person in Iran was toward the regime in the context of what you're saying?
1: Uh, before the, these protests? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe 10 years <laughs> ago, the, um, people had a lot of uh, like hope uh, to reform the law. Uh, but since um, th- uh, three years ago, uh, we've been fighting firmly to, to change the regime. And um, I, I'm glad that now, finally, the world is uh, hearing us. Uh, we buried this regime when the bloody uh, November happened. I'm referring to the demonstrations in November 2019. Gotcha. Uh, in which about uh, 1,500 people uh, were killed by the regime. And uh, since then, everything has changed. Like. A lot and um, the process uh, have increased and now uh, I, I can assure you that um, we're going to fight um, until we, we are free. Uh, we, we're not going to stop. In
0: 2019, had ibrahim Raisi already become president or is that still under Hassan Rouhani? Uh,
1: it was, uh, I think, uh, no, Raisi, uh, maybe. Oh no. No, it was Rouhani. It was Rouhani. Okay, I think if if I'm not wrong, yes, Those, it was wrong. Yeah, which
0: which is kind of interesting because the, I think that's that's interesting and says says something about the extent to which this current round of protests is maybe more about the system as a whole than it is about the man who currently is the president because Hassan Rouhani was quite a bit more reasonable than than Ibrahim Raisi, which. I guess would indicate that everything traces back to the whole system of the Supreme Leader and the IRGC and everything, I would imagine.
1: For me, all of them, they are all the same. Yeah, like for me, the uh, like some of them are playing, uh, like um, are helping the regime, the Supreme Leader, to control more uh, the people, to make them believe that they have some freedom. And uh, Rouhani uh, and their the, the colleagues and their, the, like from um, the reformists, they try to convince people to, that they can change the laws in Iran, but uh, actually it's impossible. They're just, Controlling um, um, the protests and they—they are um, like just uh, how we say it in English. They—they—they they, they, they help in the, the regime to survive. They, um, but all of them, they act uh, in the same way when it comes to the. Uh, when it comes to the uh, surviving of the of the government, um, when it comes to keep uh, keep in in the power, they 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 act like.
0: You you mean to say they all support the maintenance of the current regime, just to different degrees.
1: Of course, of course, in different okay. uh, in different ways, and gotcha. But. Uh, all of them. For me, they, and for all nowadays, for most of the Iranian people, they are all the, the same. Uh, yeah.
0: That being said, do you think that support for some sort of revolution goes beyond just the people that are in the street right now?
1: Uh, of course. Um, but the repression uh, repressions, and the fear promoted by the government and the... I would say, psychological wars against uh, the people are like a huge wall that don't let people to rise up completely. Mm -hmm. Um, So do do you think
0: then that it was just this event of the death of Mahsa Amini that that kind of provided a sort of spark to a metaphorical tinder that was already ready to light up in some way?
1: Yes, of course. Um, Her death, unfortunately, like... um, Gave us the that courage and uh, uh, made us to think and uh, say we're gonna change it. We are gonna stop it once for all. And um, we had have we had have enough. It's it's we cannot um, stand it uh, anymore. We should stop uh, this um, dictatorship and all this uh, massacre that they they did during these years.
0: Yeah. So, like, we've been following these protests for almost almost two months now, I think, at this point. Like, I know, I mean, I have to admit, it's gone on longer than I expected that it would. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I think it's gone on longer than any protests in Iran that have ever happened under, like, since the Mm -hmm. revolution. I don't remember yeah. how long the the protests in 2019 lasted, but I feel like it was less time than this.
1: Ten days, maybe.
0: Ah, okay, then by by quite a yeah. lot.
1: Of course, way.
0: of course yeah. I, I I um a part of me thinks that if <laughs> the United States under President Trump had not stupidly undermined the protest by choosing that specific moment to take out General Soleimani, maybe those would have yeah. gone longer. Whoops, <laughs> uh, but um. <laughs> At this point, like the regime, you know these these protests have gone on for quite a while. The regime has arrested like tens of thousands of protesters, and is starting to make pretty loud noises about like mass executions and like. So I guess, given that the protests have lasted this long, I wonder first of all why it is that you think that the government waited this long to crack yeah. down on them in the way that they have in the past, especially considering yeah. the nature of the current president.
1: Yeah, it's a very hard question and really a good one. I've been asking myself the same question during these two months, but I believe it's because of uh, the support of Iranian who live abroad. Um, uh, Because from the first day of the protests, we started to spread the news and um, be the voice of Iranian who who were fighting inside the country. And we used uh, a lot the social media and um, to, to spotlight the situation in, in Iran so I think this support and this pressure from outside uh, outside um, tied somehow they, their hands and hmm. it's not because they are democratic or something like that no because they uh, they they are frightened uh, as well of what? Uh, of losing the, the power
0: um, but with they, that they
1: just had entered to a vicious cycle, we say, yeah, Uh, from which there is no way out. So they, they kill, they stop killing, they kill, they stop killing. So they can, they are just making time to think how can they, how can they survive this this situation and uh, back to the normal life. But um, because what you said, it takes too, it took too, too much time, like, um, it has been two months since then the protest started, a revolution, I would say, I would call it. So we, we didn't do it. Uh, we haven't done this kind of protest before. So they are fighting, frightened as well because they are, they are thinking, I'm sure that they're thinking why they don't stop. Like they have murdered about 300 persons during two, these two months, including 50 children and, um, people, and they have arrested about, um, six, um, 160, no,
0: uh, I saw it was like 15,000. 15,
1: yeah, 16, yeah, sorry, 000. sorry, sorry, yeah, 15,000 15, and, um, it's a huge number you know yeah but people we don't stop we don't we we, we want to stop and they know it and so every person that they kill uh, it cause uh, more anger you know
0: so then do you do you think they're going to go through with with executing all these people they've arrested
1: i think they uh, they just want to frighten us uh, they won't do it at least na- uh, for now, like um, maybe in a very close future, uh, when they start to feel really in danger, when they decide to execute, not all of them, but a huge number of um, the prisoners, um, just to survive. But um, I think for now, just they want just to scare us.
0: It was interesting that you you mentioned before you think part of the reason that these protests have gone on so much longer than previous ones have is because of the amount of attention and support from like the Iranian community outside of the country and I have a theory as to why that matters but I'm still not sure I'm understanding the point you're making about why it matters cuz like from the standpoint of the of the regime in Iran why should they care what Iranians living abroad think?
1: No, they don't care about the Iranian. Uh, they care about the, the other governments and their negotiations with the other countries. So, if they kill more people, they, like we are gonna uh, put more pressure on the world's leaders to to support us to stop their negotiations and um, dealings with Iran. So. It concerns them, obviously.
0: This is, okay. Yeah, that that confirms a suspicion of mine, which is you talk about a vicious cycle. I've thought of it as a balance where the regime in Tehran has to balance a desire to use fear and violence to control things domestically uh, while keeping that information from getting out because Mm -hmm. doing so hurts their position abroad like like having people at home think they're vicious is helpful to them having people abroad think they are is unhelpful to them so i've seen them as like attempting to balance this and with the help of the iranian community outside the country as you're saying it seems that balance has been upset in a certain kind of way Mm -hmm. um then so then with, with this being the case like Let's say in a scenario where you you said that you think for now they will threaten to arrest these 15 or 16,000 political prisoners effectively uh, as a scare tactic and at least in the short term won't go through it, go through with it. What do you think will happen if they do in fact kill most of these people that they have arrested?
1: Mm, I assure you that it's going to be the last day of the regime. I am sure about this. Yeah. They we and they know it. So they, if you ask me, if they are capable of do this, I, I would say yes, they can do this. To do this, they can execute this this um, these people. Although but logistically,
0: it'll certainly be a challenge.
1: Yeah, no, to, yeah. logistically. Uh, no.
0: To, 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 to make it really dark. I mean, like not to mention for anyone listening who isn't familiar with this. The way Iran kills people usually when they execute people is not, I mean, you know, it's not, unless I'm, unless I'm wrong, they basically like hang people from cranes. So, I mean, like, it's, it's not um, a super, it would be a logistical challenge for them to murder all of these people. But, but, but But then from a political standpoint.
1: Yeah. But I, I mean, they want, uh, if they could, they wanted to do it. You you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But Um, for now, you think these people are are basically like a hostage, then?
1: Yeah.
0: Actually, that sounds like the point you're making because you're saying if if they did this, the regime will fall. If they kill the hostage, they lose their bargaining chip.
1: They sorry, I didn't understand. Sorry,
0: if 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 they kill these people, the regime will fall. Mm -hmm. It's like if you shoot your hostage, you lose your lose your ability to I see. Of
1: course. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. They they are using them as uh, like a For for scaring people, just, yeah, Yeah. they are
0: muted. I see. Um, Do you think that then, then, even if they don't do something really horrible with all these prisoners, do you think that even them continuing to hold them will will help or hurt with the protests? Like, do you think they're making the right calculation from a strategic standpoint of, like, if we hold these people, the rest will
1: go home? Actually, they, um, like, in... um... The last week they uh, liberated,
0: uh, released, freed. Yeah, yeah, they
1: released uh, some of them, okay. but uh, a few, a few number, and just to calm people a bit, like down, calm down the people. Uh, Did it work? But, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> because they do these strategies, and but simultaneously they keep killing people, and you're just like, okay but you cannot i'm not an idiot an idiot you cannot um uh, you cannot uh, control me by re- releasing yeah, like two or three persons and kill 100 in in a week you know yeah. uh, so they 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 have a lot of strategies and um, maybe 5 years ago we didn't know their strategies, and they could control us a lot, a lot. They did like terrorist terroristic attacks, a lot of terrorist attacks, and the, always they came with this idea, and like, like this excuse. Ah, it was ISIS. It was Daesh. It was, um, it was our enemy. It was United States. It was Israel. And yeah. nowadays, nowadays, I we know that um, they do these attacks. They kill people inside of Iran.
0: It's been it's been interesting just like watching uh, Ayatollah Khamenei's Twitter feed because I mean I know yeah. I know you told me at the beginning of the protest that a bunch of people suspected that he was dead because for the first yeah, period yeah. of the protest he disappeared and then he popped yeah. up on Twitter again and it just like the whole thing was just two days worth of tweets of like. ISIS did it. The Israelis did it. It was the Americans. It was, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was Meryl Streep. I don't know. Like, uh, like every yeah, single, potential, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. uh, you know, like, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it seems like that, that isn't, isn't maybe isn't going to work this time around. And with that, that brings me to another question I have, which is given that, given that the protesters seem to be wise to this strategy at this point, that the Iranian people are no longer convinced we shouldn't protest the regime because actually the real enemy are the Jews or something. Um, that A implies to me that the resistance in Iran is more united than it maybe has been in the past. But then if that's the case, how would you characterize the goal of the protest? Mm.
1: Uh, uh, I would say um, we are not just protesting against um the compulsory hijab or morality police or something like that. And we are protesting against government, a lot of things, a lot of issues. Uh, Government corruption, torture, uh, gender apartheid, uh, forced confessions, no free expression, um, child marriage, no due process, et cetera. Theocracy, basically. uh, Yeah. It, exactly, I wanted to say. We are fighting uh, against theocracy, so and considering all of these goals, I would say, um, it's beyond protests. It's now a revolution, and I think the world should recognize it as a revolution.
0: I believe President Macron did that recently, or at least yes. Alina Jad yes. said so on TV yeah. a day um, or two ago. Yeah. Um, okay, um, They
1: had a reunion, and uh, yeah.
0: Yes. Um, so then if if the goal is basically okay as as you spelled it out what do you see as the main impediment to that happening?
1: Highly violent repression of the regime.
0: Okay. Just, just a hardcore crackdown from Khamenei and presumably yes, the Revolutionary yes. Guard Corps.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: This might be this might be a question that that you won't have an answer to and and that's fine but just in case I want to try. Um like like the for for those listening who who don't know about this and i I may or may not have gone into this more in the intro i don't know yet uh but um the iranian government is weird in its structure because it basically contains like a vestigial version of like every conceivable government institution like there's like two parliaments and three supreme courts and a president and a prime minister and a supreme leader (laughs) and like a police and then a militia and then an army and then a secret police and then another police force and then another army Like, which is, yeah, historic. the historical parallel to this seems a little bit Third Reich-ish in that, like, the Revolutionary Guard Corps is to Iran what the SS was to, to Nazi Germany in that they have, like, the separate military and then the, like, highly politicized paramilitary force. If we assume that the Revolutionary Guards are the most fanatically loyal to the regime in place now is there any chance that at some point some of the more normal parts of the of the government maybe like the the normal military or the normal police or something might find their loyalty to um Khamenei start to waver or is that out of the question
1: Khamenei sorry
0: sorry and is is it no it's a is it possible in any way that some of the more that that's given the number of these government institutions, like the like multiple different police forces and then like the normal yeah, yeah. conventional military versus the guards versus the besiege, like um, yeah, is it yeah. possible that one of these groups that isn't quite, that's a little more like ah. the traditional army versus the guards specifically, that some of these institutions might become less loyal to the Khomeini regime oh. or are they all oh a block?
1: God. It's, it's very hard to answer this question. I, I would love to think that it's possible, but it's very complicated. They, they are so loyal. They are, um, Maybe the police.
0: Do you suspect that this might be a goal of the protesters to maybe win over one of these institutions?
1: Of course, of okay. course, but it's very complicated. And yeah. uh, I'm sure that uh, they're going to kill more people, but uh, it's not going to happen without... like it's a reciprocated violence. They kill people, the people answer them, they kill people. And yeah. we cannot not do it in another way. We, we, we don't want to do it, but it's like a civil war.
0: Yeah. I know- so I've, we, I've don't seen... have, we don't
1: have uh, weapons. If we had, but it would be so different. And I cannot imagine how, uh, yeah, what disaster would happen, but, um, that's why they can kill people so easily because we don't have weapons, we cannot defend ourselves. And uh, But I, 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 I'm I hopeful that maybe the police forces um, someday in a very close future, they, they're gonna join us because, and it happens, but very few number, yeah. a few number, but maybe, maybe in-
0: I've seen, I've seen like, reports of people in some of the northwestern the more kurdish regions of iran going across the border to iraq to join militias and then potentially like go back across um Mm. but i I doubt that alone will do it so this this will it'll be interesting to see if if some of the institutions end up joining moving beyond the politics of it all um and i i also i want to be respectful of your time and uh you know but um on a more personal level like you know you live here but like have the protest affected your life at all or like anybody that's close to you in iran i mean i also i totally understand if you don't want to say anybody's names don't no it's okay yeah um uh yes um they
1: it had uh i i cannot say who but uh yes uh they they participated in uh, in different manifestations and uh, the police they uh, hit them and they shot them with um, uh, how we say it, a rubber bullets yeah and uh, in a Pacific manifestation and uh, but this is about Tehran the capital uh, where they cannot kill easily uh, people uh, and protesters yeah but in the, in the small cities it's it's so different they. Most of the uh, deaths, uh, it's, they are from the small cities, so yeah. Oh. And um, yeah, emotionally, I, I, obviously, these protest um, had a lot of uh, like economic um, effects in our life, like it affected our life uh, economically. But I don't want to talk about this. I want to uh, insist. Um, in uh, emotional and psychological uh, part and issues, I would say that Iranian we haven't slept and eaten uh, well since sixteenth uh, uh, September when the the protest started. Um, and unfortunately and sadly, we wake wake up every day waiting uh, to receive bad news from Iran and, and most. Uh, mostly we Iranian who live abroad and uh, it would be at the, the bottom line we we are living a very hard moment yeah. yeah
0: so before we before we bring our conversation to a close is there is there anything else that you would like for people listening to know about the situation in iran about what women are facing about what people living under this really vicious theocracy are dealing with that we who have grown up with the privilege of being in countries where we don't have to deal with that kind of thing uh, don't know about. Um, uh,
1: you're so lucky, first of all, <laughs> that you, you can you you don't have to go through these uh, kind of problems. Uh, uh, every country, I, I I think every country of, of middle East, people from every country of middle East, we. We we have experienced the the same situation in some some way and somehow in uh, in our life. But uh, and we should know about politics. We should know about uh, geopolitics. We should uh, know about social problems. Uh, we cannot have a normal life. And we cannot we 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 don't stop thinking about. Uh, political strategies, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, what I mean. But I think a normal person um, uh, should have just right to live and uh, do whatever they, they want, and uh, without concerning about like too much uh, about politics. And uh, but it's not our choice. It's uh, we we grow up with this uh, lifestyle, and um, it's so sad. But uh, we accept it uh, as a reality of our life, and we, women especially, and we we just choose to fight against this uh, injustice, uh, and uh, we try to change it. And we need uh, the others' help, like the, the international help to.
0: Do you think, to- with that being the case, do you, do you think that? do you feel do you find that people in the west is your opinion that people in the west are too hesitant to like stand up against islamist theocracies in the middle east for a variety of reasons in situations like this
1: Um, i don't know but uh, um, it's very hard to have their attention uh, and have their support i don't know why maybe for the benefits i don't know um it sounds like um, you're
0: tired of competing with the kardashians for clicks
1: yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) to put it as as crassly and depressingly as i can Uh,
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) of course (laughs)
0: uh well i i hope desperately that um the people in the west and all over the world uh, pay attention to this instead of to stupid things. Yeah, uh, and continue to take steps like the one taken by President Macron in France the other day to recognize the protests in Iran and keep pressuring the government to to not crack down on them and wish every success to those fighting against theocracy and oppression and violence uh, in that country, which deserves so much better than it's getting.
1: Yeah, I also do. I want I wanted um, to ask your audience to. To help us, however, they can. So I'm. Um,
0: How can they do that?
1: Ah, uh, please, please use your social media. Post. Uh, you can post about Iran. You can post stories. You can use hashtags. Uh, you know.
0: For example. women
1: life freedom. <laughs> Woman life freedom. Mahsa Amini, Iranian protests in 2022. You can use these hashtags and uh, please spread the news. Be our voice. We need your your support. We need your help. And um, without international support, we cannot achieve your, our goals. So please, please help us to, to have freedom.
0: Well, you certainly have my support, uh, and I hope you that always- everybody listening to this. Uh, so you heard here, folks, go out and uh, go out and start doing everything you can to draw attention to this situation.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Oliver. It means a lot to to me and to my uh, people.
0: It's my pleasure. And and thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Thank you. (laughs) So there it is. I really enjoyed my conversation with Khatereh. I really hope you did too. I have to admit, I was skeptical when these protests began that they would go anywhere. No protest in the Islamic Republic of Iran has gone anywhere since 1979. But as we said, it's been like two months, and they show no signs of slowing down despite the predictable violent crackdown from the vicious priesthood that owns that government. I don't want to let myself become too optimistic, but I will say this. A change in the government in Iran would do... Probably not quite, but just about as much for world peace as a change in the regime in Russia. Iran's government is responsible for, or at least involved on the wrong side of, most of the conflicts in the Middle East. Hell, speaking of the Russians, even their brutal terror bombing campaign against the civilian population of of Ukraine relies really heavily on cheap suicide drones supplied by the Iranian government. If the current Iranian regime fell... Multiple terrorist organizations would cease to exist or at least become a hell of a lot less dangerous. The chance of a major war, like one with direct involvement from the Saudis or the Israelis in the Middle East, would become a whole lot less likely. A bunch of other very positive geopolitical things would probably happen. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Bottom line, these protests are incredibly important, and we should be doing everything we possibly can to support them. That's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you're enjoying the show as it comes back and want to avoid missing an episode, please subscribe to follow the podcast. I know the button keeps changing on all the platforms, but I'm sure you'll we'll figure it out. Uh, and share it with anyone you think would be interested. In particular, share this one with those hashtags Khart that I mentioned. Women, Life, Freedom, Mahsa, Amini, etc. Again, I'll spell those all out in the description. As always, I want to thank my friend Nate Wright for the now new and improved podcast artwork along with Khatare for sharing her insights and experiences with me and all of you, and of course you, for listening.